I'm curious, do you have a really great BS detector? You're, maybe you're often skeptical of others. Are you really street smart? Would you say you're pretty self-assured? You often find yourself being the leader in the group. Maybe you even struggle to ask for help. Do you love a good challenge? Do you fight really hard for the causes you believe in? Do you have a great sense of humor? I bet you're a blast. You might have thought that these were all parts of your personality, but they might actually be coping mechanisms you've picked up over the course of your life, and they're having a huge impact on how you show up, especially on this motherhood journey. Are you curious to know more? You got to take my personality patterns quiz. Here's what's going on. When you were a child, whenever an experience overwhelmed your nervous system, you subconsciously built a defense against that overwhelm. Over time, those defenses became a habit and then they became a pattern. And now as an adult, what we think of as our personality is often this defense pattern running the show. It's so interesting, right? There are five different personality patterns and they're not personality types like the Enneagram or the Myers-Briggs but rather they describe the safety strategies that we immediately go to when we start to feel overwhelmed. They don't describe who we are so much as what's blocking who we are. The good news is that once you take my quiz and learn about your pattern, you can learn skills to break out of that pattern, and then you can live and parent your kids as your true and authentic self. Click on the quiz link in the show notes or go to michellegrosser.com forward slash quiz now to take my two-minute personality pattern quiz. Awareness is key, right? I always say that. And our negativity bias is an evolutionary bias for protection. So our primitive brains were more likely to keep us safe back in the day if they were always on the lookout for anything that was dangerous or anything that might harm us or eat us up. And the reality, the good news, is that we're no longer in daily danger of being eaten by wild beasts, right? But our brain doesn't necessarily know that. So we have to remind our brain that we're safe. And we have to come against that pattern of negativity bias and intentionally rewire our brains to look for the good. Welcome back to the Motherhood Podcast, a live workshop-style podcast that is helping thousands of moms redefine their motherhood journey. There was a point in my life when I was trying to do all the things parent my kids, pour into my marriage, run a busy law practice, keep up my home. And what I found was that I was on the fast track to burnout until I discovered a better way. Now I help women just like you to close the gap between their vision of motherhood and what they're actually experiencing in their day-to-day lives. Together, we'll explore when and where to simplify, systemize, and surrender. I promise you, you're already doing so much better than you think. I'm your coach, Michelle Grosser, and this is Motherhood. Thanks for joining us for another Motherhood Monday episode. I'm your motherhood coach, Michelle Grosser, and I am so grateful that you're here. Thank you for taking the time out of your day to join me as we talk about optimism today and how we can raise optimistic kids. It's been my experience that where my focus goes, my energy flows. You guys heard that one before? It's kind of that choice to see the world half full or half empty, right? It's our perspective, and it really is a choice. And when I say optimism, and we're going to talk about it today, there are some things that I am not referring to. 
And one of those things that I'm not referring to is toxic positivity. And toxic positivity is different than optimism. Toxic positivity says, you know, I deny the reality of anything painful or hard or sad or wrong, and I'm supposed to just smile through it, right? And quote-unquote, like, stay positive. And that, I don't think, is really optimism. I think that's the toxic positivity just kind of rejects all um, difficult or maybe unpleasant emotions in favor of this kind of fake, cheerful, Pollyanna, like, false positive facade. And optimism, like, to have a positive outlook on life as a whole, it's really good for us, and it's really good for our kids, but the reality is just that life isn't always quote-unquote positive, right? Life doesn't always go how we'd prefer. Life can be really painful sometimes. We've all experienced painful emotions. We've all experienced um, painful moments in our life, and those emotions also need to be welcome. You know, we always say here on the podcast that all of us is welcome, right? The, the pain is welcome. The grief is welcome. The, the sadness is welcome. The anger is welcome. It all needs to be felt and dealt with because that is also really good for us and really vital to our health, right? Our overall well-being. And the catch with toxic positivity is that it takes positive thinking to the extreme, right? And it just applies it to everything. And when you do that, when you just kind of blanket it over everything in life, it really minimizes and denies some of those like sticky, icky, painful parts of our humanity that aren't shiny and glowing and happy. So it really denies authenticity. It really denies reality. It can be quite dismissive and it's and it's actually harmful to our health and well-being. And I think it runs more rampant than we might even realize, especially in our like good vibes only culture that celebrates being quote unquote strong, right? And I'm going to keep this in the context of parenting today, but this really applies to all of our relationships, our relationships with our partners, our spouses, our friends, our coworkers, our business partners. Um, but toxic positivity often comes from a place of trying, I think, to comfort our kids and really help them have some perspective. It's just that it's often misplaced. So it might look or sound like us telling them, you know, it's not so bad, you're fine, you're okay, look on the bright side. But when we respond to our kids' pain by telling them that it's not so bad or that they should just focus on something else, what we're doing is we're actually dismissing their experience. So in their little bodies, you know, maybe the bullying or the disappointment does feel pretty bad for them. And then we, you know, the person that they look right? Look to the person that they trust to help them make sense of this world. When we tell them it's not so bad, you know, get over it. It's not a big deal. That can be really confusing, right? Mom says it's not a big deal, but it feels like a really big deal to me. This doesn't feel good, but mom says I should just smile and be happy. And now they're not sure they can trust how they actually feel. And what we're unintentionally doing here as parents is we're substituting our own view for our child's actual experience. So what's the better response? Well, the better response is to acknowledge and get curious. And you guys know my mantra right now. I always say curiosity over judgment. So let's say our kids get into a fight about a toy, right? Or they're arguing over what movie we're going to watch for movie night or what game we're going to play for game night, whatever. 
And one of our kids gets really upset and they yell like, I hate my brother. And they storm off to their room. Well, in this toxic positivity pattern, our gut instinct might be a response that sounds something like, hey, don't say that, right? You don't hate your brother. You love your brother. And again, you can see why that might be really confusing to that child. Like what he's feeling in the moment sure doesn't feel like love. And rather, what if we responded with something like, wow, I see that this is making you feel some really big feelings. Like why are you feeling like like you hate your brother right now? And two important things happen there. One is that you're validating their feelings. And this is so important, friends. Just accepting the statement validates what they're feeling. And maybe with your child's you know, limited emotional vocabulary, they just went to the word hate because it feels so strong, right, in their little bodies. But we know they don't actually hate their brother, but we don't have to point it out and dismiss their experience. You know, validating their feelings is not going to endorse it. It is not going to encourage hate, I promise you, um, because you're not endorsing the anger or the hate or the outburst. What you're doing is you are connecting. You are connecting with them, and that's what they're needing most in that moment. That's what they're craving. You're seeing them where they're at. You're acknowledging the big feelings that they're feeling, and you're just validating their experience. And then second, that curious part, you know, why are you feeling like you hate your brother right now? That's encouraging them to get curious about their own feelings. And it really helps our kids. And guys, <laughs> this works on adults too. It really helps to get curious about our feelings. Because when we get curious about our feelings, we can put our feelings and our thoughts into words. And when we can put our feelings and thoughts into words and process them that way, it helps us to understand them better. So maybe, so maybe in getting curious, our kid discovers why he's feeling such big feelings, right? And you help him in that process and you help him co-regulate. And that quote-unquote hatred that he was talking about, it releases and it dissipates. And instead of being suppressed, right? That's what happens when you say you don't hate your brother, you love him, put a smile on and come back here or whatever, right? That suppresses the emotion. Instead of suppressing it and either it either growing stronger or turning into resentment or bitterness, it allows it to dissipate. And maybe it doesn't immediately dissipate, but at least getting curious and having a conversation about it, we're helping our child to more clearly know and understand what they're actually feeling. So maybe it is a big emotion, but maybe it's not hate, right? Maybe it's not hate, but they can only start to understand that when, when we're able to sit and have a conversation with them about it instead of just telling them how we think they should be feeling. Right? Instead of us telling them what they're feeling when it doesn't match what's going on inside of their body. So the first thing optimism is not is toxic positivity. And then the second thing optimism is not is spiritual bypassing. And again, this is something most of us probably do when we're genuinely trying to comfort our kids. We walk in with really good intentions. So imagine your kid's experiencing something painful, right? Something unpleasant, something frustrating, something upsetting, whatever. And a response that spiritually bypasses it would be something like, well, everything happens for a reason, right? You, I don't know, got dumped by your boyfriend today. Well, everything happens for a reason, right? You didn't make the soccer team. Oh, well, get over it. Everything happens for a reason. And that, that might be true, right? We know that there is purpose in all of our pain. 
but as a response to someone, particularly our children, when they are sitting in that moment of pain, the spiritual bypassing in that moment is really dismissive, and it really avoids our children's pain. So in their most innocent expression, the toxic positivity and that spiritual bypassing, it's really just dismissive, and it comes from a place often of um, being uncomfortable, sitting with someone else in their pain. I think that's its most innocent expression. And then at its worst, it's really a pattern of response we're running with our kids. We have to be careful because it can unintentionally cause our kids to feel feelings of guilt, feelings of shame for feeling what they're feeling, right? If we, if we shame them for crying, if we shame them for being disappointed, if we shame them for feeling upset or frustrated or angry, we're causing them to feel feel feelings of guilt and shame. And friends, it's subtle. <laughs> Those of you who are feeling a little convicted right now because you're thinking back to moments where you've responded like this to your kids, first, always my first, right? Have some compassion for yourself. We've all been there. We've all done it. I've done it. You were probably raised with parents who responded in a very similar way. Or maybe you're even running some of these traits within yourself and you're not even really aware of it. Do you often brush off your problems instead of addressing them head on? Do you minimize your own experiences because you have these kinds of thoughts that are like, well, it could be worse or at least it's not whatever, you know, at least it's not as bad as my neighbor or my cousin or... You know, even though he never pays attention to me, at least my husband has a job or, you know, being heartbroken over a miscarriage, but not allowing yourself to grieve because at least you already have other children. Like whatever it is, that is toxic. You are allowed to experience your experience and still hold gratitude, right? They're not mutually exclusive. Maybe you find yourself judging or shaming others who don't have a positive attitude all the time. Right? And I'm not encouraging you to go out and surround yourself with a bunch of energy vampires to, to suck the life out of you. I'm just simply wondering if your propensity is to reach for judgment before you reach for compassion or curiosity when someone isn't positive. Like, Do you ever feel bad or guilty about your own feelings, particularly if you're feeling some of those uncomfortable ones, right? Angry, sad, frustrated, disappointment. Like, Do you judge yourself for feeling those things? How often do you hide those feelings? How often do you avoid those feelings? How often do you feel like you're forcing yourself to put on a, a happy face, right? And just show up with a smile or just get over it. And friends, if any of this feels a little bit like a punch in the gut or if it's landing in any way, uh, first, just beautiful awareness. Just beautiful awareness. So just allow yourself to acknowledge that, appreciate it, and sit in it. And then second, this is an opportunity to start running a new pattern. This is the day where you start reminding yourself over and over and over that all of you is welcome. All the different feelings, all the different emotions, you can greet all of it with compassion. It's all welcome. It's not going to be judged. It just is what it is. And whatever it is, you're agreeing to greet it with compassion instead of judgment. And then you're allowing yourself to feel it. Because it's welcome, and then you can deal with it. And that's how you get over it, friends. That's how you get over it and on with it. You have to feel it. It's not white-knuckling it through. It's feeling it and then dealing it. 
and you can only feel it and then deal with it when you allow it to be welcomed and expressed. Okay, so that is a long caveat, but let's jump into the optimism part today and how we can encourage it in our kiddos. And I think one of the first things we can do is focus on our kids' effort over their quote-unquote success. And I know I talk about this a lot, but it's because it is that important. We cannot reduce every single thing our kids do to its result. Like, we can't do that. We can't do that for our kids. We can't do it to ourselves either. We are not a culmination of our awards, right? Our kids are not a culmination of their achievements. They are more than that. We are more than that. Like, your beautiful kiddos are so much more than that. So if we can get in the habit of focusing on the process over the outcome, we're going to have so much more to celebrate. It's a different perspective. It's a different expectation. It's a different definition of success, and it really does drive optimism. And if you want to hear more about it, you can go all the way back to episode two of the podcast where I talk more about how we can focus on the journey over the destination. And then second, and this is one of my favorite things to talk about, I talked about it a little bit last week, Um, we can get comfortable asking ourselves, is it true? Is it true? Last week we talked about open-mindedness and we kind of touched on this, but it's so good I had to bring it back for round two here. Is it true? It's just one of the greatest antidotes to negativity or to pessimism. pessimism. So when we notice our kids or when we notice ourselves having a negative thought or a pessimistic thought, we can gently catch ourselves for a minute and just ask, is that true? Like, is this actually true? Is it true that, whatever, this always happens to you, right? Is it true that you'll never be a good reader, right? Maybe we're telling our kids that. Is it true you're the worst at soccer? Is it true that nothing you do matters? And back to the toxic positivity for a second, I'm not suggesting that we dismiss our kids' complaints about this stuff. What I'm saying is we can talk about the emotions that are coming up honestly, authentically, and then we can separate the feeling from what we're making it mean. And that's what we're doing here, right? We're talking about the feelings. The feelings are true. The feelings are real. But what we're making them mean is often not true. And then we just catch ourselves in whether what we're making it mean is true or not. What we're really doing here is reframing our paradigms. And this is the work of Byron Katie. Um, She calls it the work. And if it's interesting to you, you can check out more of her stuff. You can check out her Instagram page. I think it's just her name, Byron Katie, K-A-T-I-E. But her model to challenge our paradigms and help our kids to challenge their paradigms is essentially just that question first, right? Asking, is it true? And if our answer at first glance is yes, then we ask a second question. How do we know it is true? How can we absolutely know it's true? Like, what evidence do we have? How do we support our knowing? Because very often, it's not going to be true, right? It's not going to be true. The evidence is not going to be there. Whatever our pattern of thinking is brought us to that conclusion abruptly, right? Too abruptly to really take in all of the evidence that's contrary to that. So let's say the thought is, um, my husband should understand me. My husband should understand me. Maybe you're frustrated about something and you feel like your husband should understand you. I've been there, right? Have you been there with me? 
The first thing is, is it true? The first question, should my husband understand me? And if my gut response is yes, which is probably how I feel in the moments when I'm feeling frustrated, then I move to part two. How can I actually know this is true? How can I actually know, truly know what he should and should not understand? You can't actually know this. You can't know. I can't know what's in his best interest to understand. So then that brings us to part three. The third question in the exploration is what happens when we believe this thought, right? How do I react when I have this thought that my husband should understand me? Does it make me angry? Does it make me bitter? Like, how does it make me treat him? Do I try to change him? Does it stress me out? And really listen to the answers your body's revealing to you as you go through the exercise. So those are the first three questions. And then the last one, the fourth part, is who would I be? Or what would I do if I didn't have this thought? Right? Who would I be? How would I act? What would I do if I didn't think this way? So I want you to close your eyes for a second if you can. And just picture yourself in your husband's presence, looking at him in the eye without the thought that he should understand you. What do you see? What does your life look like? How is it different, right? How do you feel? What are you feeling? What does your relationship look like? And then you can actually replace that untrue thought with what Byron Katie calls the turnaround. So it can be turned around to the self, the other, or the opposite. So if that statement that you're questioning whether it's true is turned around to the self, in our little example that we're using here, it's that I should understand me. I don't even always understand me, right? How can I expect him to? And then when it's turned to the other, the statement sounds like I should understand him. Well, sometimes I do, but sometimes I don't, right? It's not in my nature to always understand him. It's not in my nature to always understand anyone, right? So it just gives me some perspective in what I'm asking of him. And so the opposite, when we turn it on the opposite, it's that my husband should not understand me. And then we just kind of let ourselves sit in each of those turnarounds. What if I turn it around on myself? What if I turn it around on him? And what if I actually turn it around to me in the opposite? And just let myself experience each of those statements and let myself kind of process it and think about it really openly and truly. And friends, it doesn't always have to be this in depth, right? But we can just start by simply helping our kids to process what they're feeling and then just question what they're making it mean. So, you know, I hear you're frustrated and you're making, maybe, maybe you're feeling embarrassed about not making the team. And you can work through that emotion with them. And then maybe when it feels appropriate and it feels loving and it feels like the timing is right, you can bring it up. Listen, I know you were really hurt or upset, whatever, about not making the team, but I just want to challenge you a little bit on that statement. You said that you're the worst soccer player ever. Like, let's explore whether that's really true. And then depending on their age, depending on their um, just their maturity, you could have a conversation with them and help them to poke holes in it, right? You know, you're whatever, niece or cousin who's six months old, are you a better soccer player than him? Yeah, of course you are, right? You're not the worst soccer player ever. Whatever that conversation looks like. Because exploring these alternatives, friends, that can bring peace. It can bring perspective. Exploring alternatives lets us know where our vision is skewed. And exploring alternatives where we might not be seeing reality clearly 
clearly, like, at its core, what it's doing is it's separating fact from philosophy. And I think that allows us to stay away from a lot of the pessimism and a lot of the um, negative thinking that we might be prone to. And that kind of brings me to my third point. And my third one today is to be aware of our negativity bias. Be aware of our negativity bias. Awareness is key, right? I always say that. And our negativity bias is an evolutionary bias for protection. So our primitive brains were more likely to keep us safe back in the day if they were always on the lookout for anything that was dangerous or anything that might harm us or eat us up. And the reality, the good news, is that we're no longer in daily danger of being eaten by wild beasts, right? But our brain doesn't necessarily know that. So instead of keeping us on alert for like actual real life threatening danger, it can be keeping us hyper vigilant about, I don't know, a sideways look from our coworker, right? Or ruminating over the comment our spouse made or worrying about the presentation we have to make next week or the anxiety about our finances or whatever. Like these are real things, yes. Are they life threatening danger? No. So we have to remind our brain that we're safe. And we have to come against that pattern of negativity bias and intentionally rewire our brains to look for the good. And for a large part, this is a mindset thing. You know, what's your focus? What are your kids hearing? What kinds of things are they hearing you say? What, are, what paradigm are you helping them um, create for the world around them? And what does your internal dialogue sound like? How often is your mental scanner looking for the good instead of the bad? Because friends, what you appreciate, appreciates. What you appreciate, appreciates. And that just means that, you know, what you focus on is what you're going to see. We all have this part of our brain. It's called um, the RAD, the reticular activating device. And it's a part of our brain that, you know, it, it really helps to make us more efficient. But what happens is that when we tell it to notice something or to focus on something, it does a great job at doing that. So it's the same reason why... You start researching getting a, a golden doodle, and then all of a sudden it feels like every dog you see is a golden doodle. Or maybe you're interested in getting a certain kind of car, right? Maybe you decide you're going to get a Jeep, and it feels like all you see on the road these days are Jeeps, and you're starting to notice all the different series within the model, and like the different accessories, and the different colors, and, and whatever, and all the details that if you were looking into getting something else, a minivan or a sports car, you wouldn't even notice because it wouldn't be, your reticular activating device would not be picking it up. And the same is true for the positive or the negative. The same is true for the optimistic or the pessimistic. The same is true for the good or the bad. If we communicate to that RED to, RED to focus on the negative, you know, it is so, so good that it's going to do just that. But the opposite is also true. And if we want our brain to start focusing on the good, we can rewire it to do so. And friends, life is so much richer that way, right? It's so, so beautiful. We don't want to miss it. Okay, Motherhood Monday, the end of every Monday episode, we always start our week off in the best way, praying over our families. Uh, so let's pray together. Won't you join me today? God, we thank you, Lord, for the gift of our children. We pray optimism over them this week, Lord. I pray, God, that you help them to focus on and to see all of the good that's around them, Lord. 
in all of that, God, help us as their parents just to be sensitive to their experience, God. Help us not to push our own agendas on them, our own emotions on them, um, our own uncomfortabilities around what it is that they're experiencing or feeling, God, but just allow us to hold a safe space for them. Allow us to help them process what it is they're feeling, Lord, and help them to understand that you created emotions and that emotions are messengers, God, so they shouldn't feel shame about their emotions. They shouldn't feel guilt about their emotions, God. I pray, Lord, that um, we continue to question the things that we think we hold are true. We have so many biases. We have so many um, ways in which we're patterned to think based on our life experience, based on all of our journeys, God, based on the way that we were raised, just on the way that our parents thought that were passed down to us, God. So just help us to see the world more clearly. Help us to see people with eyes like you see them, God. Help us to see hearts the way that your heart does, God. Help us not to judge anyone else's experience or what they're going through, Lord, but help us just to always respond in love and compassion. God, I just pray that as we see the world how you see it, God, as we love the world how you love it, God, that we just continue to stay optimistic. We are so hopeful for what you have for us, Lord. Let us not get in our own way. Let us not lose sight, God. That is the hope for the future, God. We believe that the best is yet to come. We love you, Lord. We praise you. We thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you love Mommy's podcast, leave a review. If you enjoyed this episode, It would be so awesome if you could take a moment to subscribe and rate the podcast. And if you have just a few more seconds to leave a quick review, they really help to get this podcast out to other moms like you. I read every last review and trust me, when it's late at night or early in the morning before my kids get up and I'm working on bringing you all of this content, your reviews are what keep me going. Leaving a review is truly the best way you can thank me. And of course, DM me on Instagram at themotherhood.podcast. I love to hear from you. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Motherhood Podcast. Head over to the show notes for this episode and all past episodes at michellegrosser.com where you'll find free resources, information on how to join and participate in the Motherhood Village, and more ways to connect with me. If you love the show, share it with a friend. Thanks again for tuning in. We'll see you next time.